and welcome to The Vinyl Approach, episode 16. My name is Tom Wilmeth. Well, as Thomas Wolfe might say, October has come again, and with it, memories of previous Octobers and other Halloweens. Bob Dylan's 1964 Halloween concert has always been among my favorites by him. On it, we find a confident Dylan, relaxed and seeming to have a good time. Certainly on this night, he is in control of his music and his audience. I bought a bootleg album of this 1964 concert in college. I listened to it a lot, and this solo performance remains an important touchstone of my Dylan collection. I'm glad that Columbia Records has made the complete concert commercially available, since it features stellar renditions of some of his most interesting material from that era. October 1964 appeared to be a tough time for Bob Dylan. The previous August saw the release of his fourth album, Another Side of Bob Dylan a record that stridently marked a new direction for New York City's folk idol. Although hating the album's accurate title, Dylan was purposefully shedding the mantle of protest singer with his collection of songs. Instead of commenting on social injustices, here was a collection of odd love songs, brooding introspections, and comic interludes. The performances are often engaging, but the songs... A parody of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho movie, advice directed toward former lovers, and an eight-minute diatribe about his ex-girlfriend's sister. Including more than a few strange moments, the album was not embraced by the Dylan aficionados who expected another collection of songs railing against society's injustices. Another side of Bob Dylan remains an oddity. Although containing two of his most recognizable tunes in All I Really Want to Do and It Ain't Me, Babe, the unusual nature of the album extended to its very sound, a harsh and brittle tone. This new record seemed intentionally at thematic odds with the serious songs on the Times Era Change in album released just six months earlier. For another side of, the listener must abandon expectations or get off the train, and the Dylan trip was just getting underway. Perhaps Bob was affected by the negative press and hard feelings over these new songs. I say that because he rarely sang any of these numbers live. Even now, this Halloween concert of 1964 is the only documented performance of the song Spanish Harlem Incident from this album. And even with the inclusion of this number, Dylan still played less than half of his new record's songs that night, ignoring his remarkable compositions My Back Pages and Chimes of Freedom. Happy or not with his recent past, on this night Bob was looking toward the future. Although his next album would not come out until five months after this concert, Dylan performs three defining numbers from that unreleased work. The Gates of Eden, It's All Right Ma, I'm Only Bleeding, and Mr. Tambourine Man. Certainly my back pages and chimes of freedom from another side of are really good, but these new songs are better. Dylan does give strong performances of the few numbers he plays from the latest album, songs all dealing with relationships. To Ramona sounds like a sincere plea for the woman to help herself, and I Don't Believe You cleverly depicts the singer's bewilderment after a one-night stand. Given his powerful rendition of the song Spanish Harlem Incident, one can only wonder why this number immediately fell out of Dylan's active repertoire. Clearly Bob did not totally ignore the new LP at this Halloween concert. Both It Ain't Me, Babe, and All I Really Want to Do were deemed strong enough songs to close the main set and serve as the encore but neither was the Another Side of album a focal point of the performance. It's worth praising the audience for its attentiveness, especially considering that, for various reasons, seven of the 18 pieces performed that night were unreleased works and likely unknown by many attending the concert. 
But Dylan knew how to court his audience. Mixing favorites with his newest songs, the performer's instincts never fail him concerning the set's pace and balance. For example, he places the light-hearted If You Gotta Go, Go Now between the two weightiest new songs of the night. To allow the audience to breathe, I am guessing. And I maintain that Dylan's forgetfulness at the start of I Don't Believe You is feigned, the clever crowd-controlled device of an experienced performer. I also think that Dylan can be heard shaking off the past during this concert. Listen closely to the opening of A Hard Rain's Are Gonna Fall. Bob begins with the distinctive guitar line for Ballad of Hollis Brown, but he stops and mutters, Nah, I, I can't. After a brief pause, he says, I'll do this instead and then sings a powerful version of Hard Rain. The individual plight of Hollis Brown no longer spoke to him. It was confining. The lyrics of Hard Rain refused to focus on one man or a specific incident. The song instead suggests a number of complex, yet more universal situations. I have often said that the young Dylan had talent dripping from his fingertips. This Halloween 1964 recording is not a performance by that young man. Instead, it reveals a maturing Dylan and a creative growth spurt. In hindsight, maybe it's ironic that on his most recent and somewhat scorned LP, Bob explains his situation as straightforwardly as any artist can be expected to. In his lyrics, Dylan tells those who want him to continue on as their folk champion that it ain't me, babe, it ain't me you're looking for. And to those who won't forgive the lack of political songs on his new record, he tries to mollify their indignation, explaining that I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. Yes, perhaps the fall of 1964 were tough months for Dylan. His newest album had long-time followers worried, and Bob himself rarely acknowledged most of these songs in concert. Yet the attitude he displays at this show is positively buoyant. He is writing some of the best songs of his career and immediately showing them to his fans. In fact, his inclusion of so many unfamiliar selections was a gutsy move. He could have easily relied on a pure oldies show, which he refused, and still refuses, to perform. Notice, for example, the set's intentional avoidance of Dylan's most recognizable anthem, Blowin' in the Wind, as well as the omission of crowd-pleasing numbers like Masters of War and When the Ship Comes In. The summer following this concert saw Dylan release the partially electric album Bringing It All Back Home. He also fronted a rock band at the Newport Folk Festival. The Halloween 1964 performance from New York City is an important link between Bobby Dylan, the folk darling of Greenwich Village, and Bob Dylan, the electric trader of Newport. Neither label was ever accurate, of course, but this concert demonstrates that with such a talented artist as Dylan, not even his own devoted audience could know what to expect from him. What is indisputably clear from this recording is the fact that a young man, armed with only a guitar, a harmonica, and his own songs, was able to hold an audience rapt for over 90 minutes. He still holds my attention throughout this recording, and I still find that extremely impressive. <laughs> I said at the start of today's vinyl approach that I obtained this Halloween 1964 concert recording in the mid-1970s and got to know it well. It was clear to me that Bob was in control of his music and his audience. And true, the audience is very respectful and attentive. But there is a person there who Dylan does not have under his spell that night. One young woman wants answers. During the concert, she shouts two questions at him. It's not heckling in the modern sense of the word, and her questions are not really interruptions, since the woman lobs her comments into the silence between numbers. She does not offer song suggestions, as others in the audience are doing. 
Her requests are for information. At one point, she shouts, What do you do for a living? In exasperation, Bob replies, Hey, anything you say. The audience laughs and applauds this quick retort, and the mood is kept upbeat. After thinking a moment more, Dylan also laughs and says, Hope I never have to make a living. But it's the first of the young woman's inquiries that I find more interesting. After Bob concludes, Who Killed Davy Moore, and is five songs into his set, she shouts, Why don't you pick it? For the past 45 years, I have paid little attention to this lone voice calling to Bob from the audience, just some random person yelling. Clearly, she is not a fan and doesn't know Dylan's music. She is being disrespectful. But after she shouts, Why don't you pick it? Bob does respond. He simply says, Well, I don't know why. No flashy comeback, no put-down, just an acknowledgement. Not long ago, it struck me that her question is inordinately valid. Why doesn't Bob pick his guitar that night? He does accompany himself with a variety of appropriate guitar patterns on these 18 songs, but at no time does he freely finger-pick the guitar. This would not seem odd, except that earlier in his career, Dylan had shown himself to have the ability to play fingerstyle acoustic guitar to great effect, perhaps no more memorably than on the studio recording of Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. But he also picks guitar on other early recordings. The question shouted by that young woman decades ago has recently stuck in my mind, so let's take a brief look at a few representative performances that predate the 1964 Halloween concert. There is a lot to say about each, but for today we'll focus on Bob's guitar playing. On November 4, 1961, Bob Dylan gave his first real concert. It was at Carnegie Chapter Hall in New York City. Dylan sang traditional numbers, plus songs written by Woody Guthrie, Bessie Smith, and Bucka White. His acoustic guitar playing is proficient, if rudimentary. He rarely attempts much beyond purely rhythm patterns. Bob does play single-line runs to accentuate certain songs, including Backwater Blues and the concert opener Pretty Peggio. The song Fixin' to Die also contains some advanced extemporaneous finger-picking, but here Bob sounds tentative about trying to pull off some of the guitar work he is attempting. Ironically, he seems most confident between songs as he plays guitar lines while talking to the audience about the material he has chosen for the night. On these apparently unconscious instrumental passages, we hear some of the guitar style that Dylan will later use in his own songs. Bob closed this November 1961 Carnegie Chapter Hall concert with two original numbers, Talk in New York and Song to Woody, both of which appear on Dylan's first album, one he would record later that month. At the concert and on the album, Song to Woody is largely a rhythm guitar accompaniment, while Talk in New York has a repeated single-line pattern of picking. On his eponymous debut album, Bob's freest guitar picking comes on the intense song In My Time of Dying. Here, Dylan does not follow a repeated pattern of picking throughout the song. Instead, he improvises a variety of guitar lines behind his vocals. In April 1962, Dylan began work on his second album, Freewheelin'. The first album was recorded quickly, in just two days. But the Freewheelin' Bob Dylan album had a lengthy birth, taking a full year to complete. It was worth it. The Freewheelin' Bob Dylan is the most important album of original songs by a solo performer ever recorded. That's a topic for another day, but as we look at Bob's guitar style on Freewheelin', he is still picking. As I have said, the most notable example is on Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. Many of the songs have the repeated picking pattern I have discussed, but Don't Think Twice is a showcase for Dylan's more improvisational finger-picking, as is this album's Girl from the North Country. 
The song Down the Highway offers a more forceful combination of free picking combined with the intense rhythm interludes I've discussed. Karina Karina is also on the Freewheelin' album, a song I have discussed at length on an earlier podcast. As a side note, a recording exists of Dylan playing Don't Think Twice It's All Right at a club date in late 1962. I find it interesting that on this live recording he makes no attempt at fingerpicking, giving the song a straight rhythm guitar accompaniment. Dylan will make the studio recording of Don't Think Twice one month later, which includes the beautiful picking pattern that I praise here. It almost makes me think that there is a guitarist other than Bob on this studio recording of the song, but I have never seen any indication of that. As with his first album, Freewheelin showed that Dylan could pick guitar, often to great effect. Live appearances also demonstrate Dylan's increasing comfort level with various guitar styles. Columbia Records' Live at the Gaslight is an October 1962 recording of 10 selections. The straight rhythm patterns are here, as on a hard rain's are going to fall, and the repeated picking patterns are represented by the ballad Barbara Allen and on Rocks and Gravel. But two of these songs show Dylan stretching the parameters of his guitar abilities. On the song Cocaine, and particularly on Moonshiner, Dylan takes a picking pattern and adds extemporaneous flourishes that showcase his growth as an instrumentalist. However, only six months later, much of Dylan's guitar advancement was no longer on display. At his town hall concert in April of 1963, the song Bob Dylan's Dream demonstrates the performer's deft accompaniment, and the sublime Tomorrow is a Long Time has a fluid guitar backing, but both are repeated picking patterns. Gone are the attempts at free or improvisational finger-picking. The same would be true at a live date in October of 1963. Bob sings his ballad Seven Curses with its tale of lust and corruption, plus his song of lost love called Boots of Spanish Leather. Each has an appropriate picking pattern to accompany the lyrics, but Bob increasingly retreats to a less adventurous approach to his guitar playing. The two studio albums leading up to the 1964 concert being discussed today also see Bob turning away from a freer type of finger-picking. The one example from his Times They Are a Changin' album is on the song One Too Many Mornings, and by the time of the Another Side Of album, the picking has essentially vanished. Dylan's accompaniment is always appropriate, and even sometimes inventive on these songs, as when he begins on the guitar's upper frets for I Don't Believe You. But the free picking and even the repeated single-line patterns are rarely found on these two albums. Bob would not forever abandon this guitar style, though. He will soon use a repeated single-line pattern to great effect on It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding, and his proficiency at various forms of picking will be clearly displayed nearly 30 years later on his two CDs of traditional songs, Good As I've Been To You and World Gone Wrong. But in October 1964, Bob was playing very little accompanying guitar that went beyond straight rhythm and a single-line repetition pattern. He had apparently left the finger-picking behind. I think the young woman who shouted, Why don't you pick it? was on to something. Instead of a disrespectful non-believer, as I had always assumed, she may have been the most perceptive Bob Dylan fan in the room that night. So I must belatedly apologize to that unknown audience member for my being dismissive of her badgering Dylan so long ago. It's clear that she knew his work. How otherwise would she be able to ask an informed question concerning his guitar playing? And I must thank her. Without her shout-out, I would not have thought about the absence of Dylan's picking style at that concert and its diminishment before that performance. So, whoever and wherever you are, I appreciate the insight. Like that young woman, I too would like to know why Dylan stopped picking his guitar. But after pondering the subject, I can only echo the response given by the one person who might know the answer, 
as Bob says to her, well, I don't know why. As with all things Bob, there is a lot more to say about this topic, but with high praise for an unknown Dylan enthusiast, we'll close this edition of The Vinyl Approach. I'm Tom Wilmoth, and if you are interested in reading more of my opinions about music, I have published a book called Soundbites, A Lifetime of Listening. Soundbites is available on Amazon. A quick reminder that each of these episodes has an accompanying song list on Spotify. This has been The Vinyl Approach, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>